You know who did this? There's only one group that hunts with these. Who? They don't have a name. What kind of tribe doesn't have a name? One that doesn't have a language. Cave dwellers. You know where they are? I have a general idea. You'll take us to them? I won't. Because you're an Indian? Because I don't want to get killed. You're afraid of your own kind? They're not my kind. They're a spoiled bloodline of inbred animals that rape and eat their own mothers. Well, what are they? Troglodytes. What do they look like? A man like you would not distinguish them from Indians, even though they're something else entirely. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We've got a western horror film, a slow burn western horror film to look at for this go-round. We are looking at 2015's Bone Tomahawk. This was a movie that kind of made a splash uh, for, you know, like people who follow lower budget kind of indie horror. I don't know if it made a splash with like Western fans, but I wouldn't be too surprised if uh, some of them got into it at least up to a certain part of the movie. And then they might have been like, oh, wait, what am I watching now? Um, but for horror fans, it's definitely something that uh, I think they latched on to. But otherwise, it's not uh, super famous, uh, hence why we're doing it for the show. It cost $1.8 million and only made half a million. Um, so did not do great in terms of the box office, but it was uh, critically acclaimed. And it has a pretty stacked cast. It has uh, Patrick Wilson, who uh, was Night Owl in Watchmen and has been in tons of other stuff uh, over the years. Um, he's one of the leads. Matthew Fox from Lost um, and uh, Party of Five and other things uh, shows up uh, as a supporting character. The great character actor, actor Richard Jenkins shows up as a deputy. Lily Simmons, who's an actress I wasn't like familiar with, um, she plays uh, Patrick Wilson's wife, and she kind of like kickstarts the plot. And David Arquette has a small part. Sid Haig, who was in tons of horror and exploitation movies in the 70s and 80s, and then was in House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, he shows up at the very beginning. And, uh, of course, it is, we are led primarily by the great Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is our, uh, our cowboy sheriff lead. Um, he and Patrick Wilson are, are arguably the uh, central characters. Oh, and also I'll throw out a couple other just kind of random people who show up. James Tolkien, who is uh, Principal Strickland from the Back to the Future series and uh, has been many other things over the years. He shows up as a piano player. And uh, Sean Young, who is probably most famous for being the robot lady from Blade Runner. Um, but she was in many other things in the 80s and 90s. Um, she shows up as the mayor's wife. Um, but yeah, so this is a, like I said, a slow burn horror film. It was written and directed by S. Craig Zoller. He is a writer-director who also has written a number of novels. I haven't read any of those, but I think some of them have... Uh, gotten some recognition his films he started with this one bone tomahawk and then he has since gone on to do a movie called brawl in cell block 99 that has vince vaughn just like beating people to death for two hours uh you know it's a pretty dark and fun time in its own way and then he did another movie called dragged across concrete where vince vaughn and mel gibson play dirty cops and I think they're, like, trying to, like, rip off criminals or something to get cash or something like that. Um, 
I would say it's the less, uh, the least of the three that he's done. Uh, Bone Tomahawk would be my favorite. Brawl in Cell Block 99 has some very effective and uh, just kind of like holy shit moments. Uh, Drag Across Concrete is like okay and basically what you expect for Mel Gibson movies these days. Um, so anyway, uh, we will dig into Bone Tomahawk here. We've got uh, a cast of uh, everybody joining us. Uh, they've all been on the podcast before, but we've never had quite this combination before. So we've got uh, Jimmy coming back after uh, an extended absence. I'm not sure what your last one was, but uh, welcome back, Jimmy. What was my last? I don't even remember. It's been a while, but uh, I was happy. You're going to be on back. Ace in the Hole, but uh, I can't remember what it was before that one. Yeah. Um, well, happy to have returned to Bone Tomahawk, and uh, seeing this, maybe I'll I'll even check out the Cell Block. Was it 99? Movie with yeah, ben, Brawl, ben Brawl, Brawl and Cell Block, not, not Cell Block 99. There yeah. are some moments that will stick with you in that film. Well, you know, moments are going to stick with me from this film. So yes. <laughs> seems Understood. to be that guy's MO. All right. Uh, we also have Nate rejoining us. And uh, Nate, you up to this point, I think, have probably been exclusively on episodes focused on bad films. Garbage Pail Kids. I think that's was the last one. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Garbage Pale Kids and the Avengers, and I, I, I gave you a little bit of heat, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, man, why do you always put me on the bad ones? So you gave me a good one. Yes. Well, in, also, in Linton's defense, like eighty percent of them are bad. <laughs> um. Well, no, other well, the movies we do. Um, yeah. All right, seventy-five. I don't know. No, I, I mean, we we do a lot of good stuff. I just probably haven't booked you on those, Jimmy. <laughs> Um, but, uh, no, I'll, in my defense specifically though, I'll say that when, uh, when I was originally bringing you on the show, I remember, I, I always ask people what genres are they interested in? And, uh, I remember one of the genres you said was just like bad movies that you like, like watching and like fucking around with bad movies. So there we are, Nate. That's, that's why you've been there for those. But, uh, you did give me shit. And so I did, uh, I did book you on a good, what I feel is a good film. Um, but, uh, all right. And then our, uh, third member here we have, uh, joining us is Fabs, who has been on a number of our episodes, usually when he's partnered up with his, uh, normal partner in crime, Steven over at, uh, Revenge of Nineties. Um, and I think most recently you guys were on our Joe versus the Volcano episode, which we, yeah, that was uh, last one. Yep. Yeah. Which, uh, which you guys ran as well. We did a partner episode for that. So, uh, welcome back Fabs. Thank you, sir. Okay, so we will open up the floor here. The only other thing I'll say is just give kind of like a rough overview of the plot. I think we will hold back on, so let's say, we'll hold back on some of the revelations that come in like the last third, um, just to kind of build to that and give some kind of surprises. And, and, you know, as I've said before, we always will to discuss spoilers because you can't have a show like this and just like not talk about what actually happens in the film. But when we've had movies where key plot points will kind of affect your viewing we try not to like front load it and be like oh and remember when this happens at like five minutes in so i'm um, gonna try to save a little bit of that and talk more of like kind of the stuff leading up to it characters direction anything else um but the basic plot line is we have uh two like thieves uh which is sid Haig and uh i said him a second ago david arquette and they uh they've been like robbing people 
they rob and kill somebody and they're in the middle of nowhere in the desert and they end up like going through an area that is some kind of like seemingly Indian territory or something and they get attacked and then we cut to like some kind of nearby town and um, you know Sid Haig ends up being killed David Arquette has escaped he's in the nearby town the deputy who is Richard Jenkins saw um, David Arquette burying some stuff and it's he thought it was suspicious um, so basically the, the <clears throat> Kurt Russell as the sheriff is kind of aware something's going on he starts to interrogate David Arquette a bit and then during the night uh, and David Arquette gets gets shot um, as like a kind of a warning um, and his wound needs to be tended to which uh, is where <clears throat> Our leading lady, Samantha O'Dwyer, the character Samantha O'Dwyer, she is, is she supposed to be like a doctor in training or she helps the doctor? Sounds like she's almost like a nurse and the doctor is just like, yeah, maybe also the town drunk. And so she's also like by proxy the doctor most of the time. Yeah. I mean, she presented herself as though she like knew medicine thoroughly, but they never really give her a title. So I wasn't totally sure. So anyway, so she goes to tend to his wounds in the jail, and overnight, um, the uh, younger deputy who was there, um, the man who was shot, David Arquette, and her have all disappeared from the jail, and there appears to be some remnant of what looks like, uh, it was like an arrowhead, or, uh, or an arrow sticking in a post, so it appeared to be um, you know, some kind of like Indian raid, um, and that they've kidnapped them. And so a posse is formed that is Kurt Russell, um, who is the town sheriff, Richard Jenkins, who is his deputy, uh, Patrick Wilson, who is the um, pseudo-doctor's wife, or or she's his wife, uh, the pseudo-doctor's husband. He has been injured. Um, He's like a builder, and he fell off a roof, and so he's out of commission for like six weeks or something. And so he's walking around on crutches through the whole movie. And then Matthew Fox, as um, uh, we'll, we'll talk significantly about his character, but I would say, you know, kind of like a, a, a Western dandy, but also like a very dangerous kind of uh, like gunslinger type character. Um, so he just volunteers and we can go into like why he does that coming up, but he volunteers his services. And so the four of them go out to try to rescue the three people who have been kidnapped if they are still alive. So that is kind of the crux of the plot as we get going. All right. We will open up the floor here. What do we make of Bone Tomahawk? I'll jump in. Um, I This is my first time seeing it. Uh, this was something I had had on like a, you know, kind of like my watch list for a while. Because I think this, what, this came out in like 2018? 15. Yeah. So it's been on my watch list for uh, seven years. Um so thanks, Litton, for letting me to get around yeah. to it and give me a reason to. Uh, but yeah, um, I'll say like it, it kind of jumps right off, and you know it's one of those movies that like first scene kind of slaps you across the face uh, with kind of what's going on with Sid Haig and, and David Arquette. So it kind of like pulls you right in immediately, and then it was interesting because then it's almost like an hour and forty minutes of less intense you know like action and more just general cowboyness uh which i yeah. also really enjoyed um 
but yeah, I thought overall the movie was was really good and really enjoyable. I love the cast. Um, oh yeah, I thought the cast was one of the things that was the most interesting. Like I thought David Arquette in particular was really really good in his grimy role. Yeah, I think that's the. It was like a perfect role for him, where it's you don't need him for all the dramatic beats. He he gets he's memorable. He's in there for you know. 10, 15, 20 minutes, and, you know, then he's kind of gone. And in a movie like this, I think that's kind of perfect because uh, it's a less traditional horror, you know, a la Scream, where he is very entrenched as Dewey. Um, so, like, you, you have that character. Um, but, yeah, I, that's one of the things I love about the movie is it starts off very, like, gruesomely uh, as they're <laughs> you get to see the old school, not super sharp knives, like really cutting through some skin yeah. and you're like, Oh damn, this, this is going to be like really gory. And then it's not for like an hour and 45 <laughs> minutes, but it's, it's really cool because I, I, I think, you know, of the um, non-traditional horror pairings, genre pairings, Western is probably one of the ones that works best for a lot of reasons. And it's just for, for that period of time, it's just like a, you know, a true grit, um, this like great, like we're going to like go save some people s- kind of typical Western with like a really o- awesome cast and or seeing Kurt Russell in yeah, there's yes, exactly. Seeing Kurt Russell like in a Western again, it's like a, a wonderful pairing. So, uh, yeah. And I know we're going to get to like where it fully goes into horror mode. Um, but I love like it's, it's, it's a really effective slow burn. Uh, I want Nate to jump in here, but first, just since you mentioned the early violent stuff, because I rewound it, I think this is probably only the second time I've watched it. I've owned it, you know, but I watched it, really liked it, bought it. Um, but I think it's only the second time. But Sid Haig, you know, this happens in the first five minutes. Sid Haig gets an arrow shot at him, and it goes, like, right into his throat. And he pulls it out. When he pulls it out, did he pull out his Adam's apple? <laughs> like, it, there's, like, a round... Which, like, I know the Adam's apple is actually, like, cartilage, so it's like, I, but I didn't know if the movie was trying to imply that, even though medically it wouldn't make much sense. But he pulls out something, and there's, like, a round, like, bulbous thing at the end of it. Yeah, actually, I think if you look at some of the other arrowheads they use throughout the film, it's, like, all bone material. So it looks mm. like it's actually, like, a small bird skull. Oh, okay. Oh I think, God. like, every, they, don't, they don't use any flint or anything. It's all bones. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. I initially thought that was the same thing. Like, I actually wrote it down. Like, man, they really start things off like intense with like both the the visceral like sound of the throat cutting at the beginning. I think that's almost like you hear it before you see it kind of thing to start you off. And then I, you know, I wrote down like arrow to the Adam's apple. Uh, but I think to Nate's point, like after having seen other arrows in the movie, like they all kind of have that bulbous look at the gotcha. end so it might just like you said be part of that bone yeah. of other things and like maybe as a I, I i'll give you my opinion on the movie but as a kind of a segue to that the character who sort of helps identify like oh these are arrows are of this clan um that's zach mclaren clarnan mm-hmm. and he i know him because he was a uh, hansi in season two of fargo and he was actually on that season of Fargo with um, uh, Patrick uh, what, what Wilson, was it? Yeah, Patrick Wilson. 
So they were on season two of Fargo together. I was like, hey. And it was actually, you know, I, I checked the uh, years and season two of Fargo happened like 2015 and this movie happened 2015. So those two were probably sharing airfare together or whatever. So fun fact. Uh, <laughs> I, I really agree uh, with it being a fun pairing. Uh, and it's almost kind of uh, interesting how I, I looked up a couple, some reviews and most most people said yeah this is a good movie worth worth seeing a couple people didn't like the the other half of the genre uh from the review where they said oh it takes too long to get to the get to the horror part of it um or you know it's like ah you know i was really invested and then everything got really gory at the end um (laughs) or at at the beginning um so yeah i think i I but i enjoyed both halves um it's interesting is like they they mention i i think it's almost like for lack of a better definition like western horror like i almost i almost wouldn't call this a horror movie i mean yeah there's some really intense uh violence at certain points but there are action movies that have just as similar intense violence and you wouldn't call it like an action horror necessarily but maybe it's just the situation that they get put in that makes it more of that horror vibe. Well, I, w- I would go to bat for it being horror for two reasons, because one, like David Car- I, Arquette's I, in it. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I remember like being in some like debate once on like a, a movie site about it, where somebody was trying to act like, like all horror has to be like supernatural for it to qualify as horror. And I was like, that's fucking preposterous because you have like <laughs> slasher films, like everything in a slasher film, in theory could happen but it's it and it's so you could say a, all slasher films are thrillers but they really aren't they're not trying to just kind of like put you on edge they're trying to actually like frighten you and, and put you in a mindset um and i i think that by the end of this that's what they are trying to do but i would also argue that this movie does go to up to at least some degree into the supernatural by the end i mean it's i think there's you know, at least evidence to point to that we are not operating with um our exact reality or 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 some kind of outside reality that we are unaware of is encroaching upon what we accept to be true um so i think that both of those reasons i would say why it it goes from just being like a brutal um western movie like with violence into sliding into actual horror but yeah at the beginning stuff if it was just like we got some like gnarly throat slits and, and arrows to the throat i'd be like yeah you know that's that's like you know just a, a western that's like doing saving private ryan shit like yeah whatever but i think by the end we're definitely in horror territory i think i think uh maybe another aspect that i saw when reading about this film was that it was sort of a celebrated like return to the western genre after you know i know that every so often there is a western movie but i think whenever a western movie is made that community who still enjoys them celebrates it, you know, 310 to Yuma or the yeah. cowardly, the death of, I never get this title, right? Oh, Jesse, uh, the assassination yeah. of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford. There you go. Linton. Great title. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so th- th- this one got celebrated too. And um, I just lost my thought thinking about that title. What's cra- what's crazy about this movie, and um, and this is like what I love about the horror. I mean, even though this movie didn't 
didn't accomplish earning a lot of money. Yeah. The horror genre is like so wonderfully famous for being able to make something for dirt cheap and make a ton of money off of it. Right. And and I and I love that like westerns can also be done that way to an extent because like this is a really beautiful movie and like obviously you got you got all these actors on like very cheap. I'm sure it was like a very Scale, short yeah. Sh- yeah, sh- short uh, shooting schedule. Like they made a lot of accommodations. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I said it was it was one point eight million, and like they didn't even really need a western town. I mean, there's some interiors, um, right, right. And, and you know, most of it just takes place out in the fucking desert. So they just like found exactly. open areas of like Nevada or California or wherever they shot it, and just had them had their actors just wander around for a while. All right, Patrick Wilson, go hobble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I just. I, I that's why like I, I I love you can do so much effectively both in horror and in the western genre for like so little money and it it can it can make it so minimalistic and that that can really just amp up you know the tone of the film and you can really like play that up and and for this one it would be like the isolation of them it's just these four guys one with a broken leg one like very elderly and like pretty much always drunk against these like prehistoric like crazy tribe of people which i thought in my second viewing i found was very funny that you know back you know back in the 1800s the it was always word of mouth like everyone knew all the legends in the area and the idea that like nobody would know who these like this group of this tribe that couldn't say words and it was like prehistoric with how they would do these like crazy screeches that was like funny to me that I was like, oh, it has to be like, you know, the, the screecher guys, the crazy, scary screecher guys. Yeah, they took them like, you know, who? I'm, oh, yeah. OK, never mind. They're gone. We're not going after them. <laughs> I, I remember what I was going to say, and it has something to do with that. <laughs> yes, I brought it back. You got kind it. Of. So the it goes back to like pretty much everything, you know, the arrows and that scene that um, uh, Zane uh, Mc. McLarnan uh, was actually he just had one scene and he was brought in to sort of say oh yeah the crazy screecher guys we know about these dudes they're they're worse than the worst you know and, and people are making you know because this is a period piece in the 1800s they're making the equivocation that oh Zane you're Native American these people are Native Americans therefore you know you, you don't want to kill your own so you don't want to come with all these kinds of accusations he's like no, no, no. These guys are other. The you know we call them troglodytes. They are like prehistoric, gross things, and I think that helps with making it more palatable for 2015 to make Native Americans the the bad guys. Whereas in the 50s, everybody was fighting Native Americans as like the other force. You know, oh, we have to go save them. Yeah. Here you have a person who plays a Native American kind of separate and say these things are gross and weird and different yeah they are monsters and that really kind of helps elevate the horror aspect of the movie and also helps make it more palatable to see bad things happen to these nasty things and understand why they're being nasty yeah i i think that was by design i think i think they had that set up and they had a native actor come in to be like no this isn't cowboys and indians everybody we're not uh we're not just (laughs) otherizing you know the natives it's like no this these these are these people are are drastically different um 
And I think like some people appreciated that when the movie came out. And I think some people even criticized that and was just saying that like, oh, you're just trying to like cover your ass so you can still do Cowboys versus Indians. I think the only thing they could have done probably to strengthen it is if that guy had gone out with them as part of the posse or someone else, another native person. Because then you would actually have like a native person with agency as part of the team and they could have their own little mini story and they're like... And their story didn't even doesn't even have to be about being native. Their story could be whatever it is that they're going out to do, you know, like I mean, um uh what's his name? Um the uh like Matthew Fox has a very specific reason we'll talk about of like why he wants to join this posse. You could have had a native character who joined the posse for whatever reason. Maybe the native character works with um the woman who was taken or something and is is friends with her or something. That could have also created some interesting tension with him and Matthew Fox because of things we learn about Matthew Fox as it goes along. So I think you could have strengthened it a bit. I don't think the movie like absolutely needed it, but it's something you could have done. But yeah, I I do think it was by design to have a native character step in and say like, hey, 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 everybody, these aren't uh, these aren't Native Americans. That's not what we're saying here. yeah, and I, 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 know, I, I was curious to see what your guys' thoughts were on that because I think, in in watching it, you could feel the the attempt to try and not make it feel as like, oh man, those Native Americans, like up in the hills, they they'll do some crazy stuff, right? But I think, yeah, they had that scene in there. But at the end of the day, once the thing, you know, like once things started getting heavy, like there was kind of that dynamic still. And I, to your point, Lynn, I think having, you know, like Zane join that group may have given it a little bit more of that distance. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's still a Western movie, in which case you're trying to determine, and especially a Western horror, like I feel like there's only so many directions you can go into where the horror aspect of it comes from. And there's a tendency to always kind of fall back on, well, what if it's just a really, really violent native American tribe, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I will give the movie a little bit of credit just in, cause we're, we're looking at it through the lens of horror or through the lens of Western, which makes sense given the setting and everything. And that's how most of the movie operates. But if you look at it through the lens of horror, um, and I don't want to go too deep into it until we get closer to the end, but like I would say that the the tribe, the troglodytes as they are called, don't have much to do with actual natives uh, any more than I would say the characters in the hills have eyes have to do with like yeah actual poor people in in the Ozarks. That so was like, the comparison I, that I kind of saw most most yeah, and and so. I mean, if this movie came out in the 70s or 80s, they would not have done any kind of covering themselves or anything. And it would have just been, you know, it would have just been the natives. They're just native monsters, which, you know, we would be looking at this for the podcast and being like, oh, here, I, I think because they try to at least address it and because they do make them so differentiate. Like, I don't think anyone could watch this and be like, this is meant to be a depiction of Native Americans. Like, like there's there's so many aspects to them that are beyond normal and that don't match up with what we think of with natives. Now, there are things that you can say are similarities in terms of like how they hunt, what what tools they're using, and things like that. 
how they look to some degree in terms of like clothing but um but yeah i mean it's i i understand the the criticism it got to some degree at the time but i i do think the movie is at least making efforts and i think looking at it through the lens of horror you know there's always going to be you you have to have creepy monsters so you know that's you know unless every creepy monster you're going to have is going to be white guys every time you there's there's always going to be something where could this be problematic yeah that's fair and i think you know not to spoil it but like them not being able to talk it makes it it gives it an inhuman yeah element where yeah. it is like this is a creature from the black lagoon this is uh king kong this is you know name your monster so th- that made it you hey, know. King Kong was misunderstood. Fast. You're right. Okay, I, I take that back. <laughs> um, but I, that made it. I think that you know, I, I'm obviously just a white dude, so like I, I can understand people. Like I can understand a native person, you know, being offended. Um, but b- comparatively to other depictions, I think they they were they were smart because in, in a lot of other you know modern westerns, it is they've smartly you know trans to transitioned. To making it be like a white antagonist of like a band of outlaws, like uh, that show Godless that was really good. Like it was, you know, Jeff Daniels had this this group of like like these guys terrorizing towns and killing all the men and everything. So like I I think that's been a smart transition and been a lot a lot easier for people to like now uh, digest. And it's good because like I like westerns, so the more westerns the better. And as if you can make them and not have them be problematic, thank you. <laughs> well, and Django Unchained had a black protagonist and fighting yes. against racist whites. Um, and then uh, Hateful Eight had a black protagonist who's like the smartest guy in the room and is essentially like a detective and just a room full of people who are lying to him who are all white. So, yeah, I mean, you're right that uh, I hadn't thought about it for modern Westerns, how they've been uh, handling that. But, yeah, they, they've been uh, approaching it in a smarter way um, or in a, in a better way than it was 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Bonanza style. <laughs> Shifting over a little bit, I, I know we've talked a lot about the horror aspects of it, but I do want to talk a little bit more about kind of like the quieter moments that I thought yeah. was oh, yeah. some of the best parts of the movie. And like, I think the two scenes that are re- like really stuck out at me is like, and it was almost right off the bat, right? Like you had the, an opening scene with David Arquette and Sid Haig, but then the, like the very next scene is like them going into town later on. And there's like a bar scene and that's where uh principal Skinner shows or principal Strickland Skinner. Strickland shows up. There's an animated character in this <laughs> yeah. movie. It's Principal very Skinner weird. shows up. He's playing the piano. Mother. <laughs> no. Uh, Principal Strickland shows up on the piano. He's like a drunk. He's just that, making like, these steamed hams. <laughs> um, I did like his sign, too. Yeah. He's like, that was great because I was like looking at it and I had the same thought. But then he explains like, oh, no, I'm, I get very drunk. Like, I, three songs is asking a lot, buddy. And that's the other thing I really appreciate is like usually the atypical you walk into a saloon in a Western is piano man and like a lot of you know fervor going on. And this is like pianist is drunk. Everyone at the bar is like passed out. And he's like, man, this really like is a bummer. And you got to pay the pianist to wake up and actually play. Um, 
So I thought that was really uh, like a really cool scene that they kind of turned on their heads. And then the scene with Kurt Russell and Richard Jenkins in the um, sheriff's office or like the jail where he like comes in and he's making like soup on a kettle and it's just Richard Jenkins. Yeah, it's like, this smells terrible. Oh, well, now that that I know it's soup, it smells great. Like, (laughs) I just thought all the dialogue in that was excellent. And maybe it's... I think the dialogue throughout the movie yeah. is is really solid. I, I mean, my comment was that it was very Deadwood esque, mm-hmm. not in like the swearing, because when we think of dialogue from Deadwood, it's a lot of cocksucker. But yeah. um, there's, there's tons of swearing in Deadwood. But if you forget the swearing for a second in Deadwood, Deadwood had a lot of like really stretched out dialogue, like where characters would say things in like five or six words that in modern English we would say in like two. And, you know, but it made it it was like there was a poetry to the language where they were trying to make it sound old timey. They were trying to make it sound antiquated. And I feel that the way the characters spoke here, um, there was a flavor to that. And even though I'm a horror fan and I would have loved if this movie like went heavier into the horror, I can also dig a good Western. And it kept me going. The characters and the dialogue through that slow burn and where it's just like dudes on a very slow mission, just on a like out on the range as part of a posse, where they're just going back and forth with like interesting dialogue, that pulled me through. So I've got various lines of dialogue I want to talk about, um, yep. but uh, I want everyone else to have theirs as well. So whoever wants to go on that, we can swap back and forth. Um, I'll I'll say on the sound. Uh, I I also captured on that moment. Everything there's there's no there's no um soundtrack it's all but i think it had the whole movie had great sound design mm-hmm. so i thought that everything sounded great um and oh, are you I saying there's it, no score because you're probably right i well, think there, there was, was there i have noticed there were three songs small... there was literally three songs yeah. okay um but uh the first song comes in at 45 minutes i i made a note of it mm-hmm. and what's fun is like after you get 20 25 minutes into it and then you have Matt Fox walk up to the piano man to tell him to play something. You think, oh, here's where we're going to have our first notes of sound in this movie. And it's, it's a, you know, it's Cut. a, yeah, yeah. He it ends up not happening. And by the time the, the other characters get to the educated goat, I think is, it was something like the learned goat. The learned yeah. goat, uh, the guy has then uh, finished his playing and he is back asleep at the piano. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, 44 minutes before the first song comes in. All right, what uh, dialogue we got? Um, uh, well, oh, good. No, uh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly. Speaking of the learned goat, one of my favorite, the first ones I wrote down was from David Arquette, where, like, Kurt Russell's got walking in and giving him a hard time, and David Arquette says, you've been squirting lemon juice in my eyes since I walked in here. <laughs> And I was like, I'm going to use that in a future, uh, <laughs> future like work setting. It's like this guy's giving me giving me shit and squirting lemon juice in my eyes since I walked in here. Um, I liked the. I also really liked that Richard Jenkins, uh, Kurt Russell scene where they're they're eating together. Um, I I just think like they took like normal Western moments and your expectations. And they like adjusted them just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you're like, your antenna was up and you're like, okay, oh, that's different than I thought it was going to be. And it immediately just pulled you in 
and you're like, okay, well, like I now I care about these characters. Like I, I want to like, I'm on this journey, and I I just thought that was like very effective. And then I mean, I love a good like you know campfire scene, and that first one was like really fun and interesting. Um, and you know I love the idea like to, to put they put the rope up with the bells, and it, it was just like the dialogue going back and forth uh, in that first campfire scene was just really interesting and it was fun because you're, you're like, you're, fo- you're with your characters now. Like there's, yeah, you're on the mission. Was that the one where Richard Jenkins was having like an argument with Matthew, Matthew Fox? Maybe I think when he was putting I, up the string. I think it might've been the second time. Yeah, okay. might've had the argument. That was one of the ones where I, I thought there was like that, do you think you're like it's like smarter than us? And he's like, well, yeah. And it's like, how so? And he says something like, well, smart men don't get married. And yeah. Richard Jenkins gives him like this, like this <laughs> stare, and then he's like, man, <laughs> got me there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He um, no, it's a great setup because it's uh, it's Matthew Fox's character, which we'll definitely dig into here soon. But he uh, Richard Jenkins is trying to defend Kurt Russell, like because he's the deputy, and so he's just like, "Oh, you don't talk to the law like that." Um, and Matthew Fox is like a braggart and a blowhard, amongst other things. And he basically says, "Yeah, that that he he knows what's best for them." And Jenkins says, "Well, how, how so?" And he's like, "Ah, uh, well, uh, sheriff, uh, sheriff, and what's his name, uh, sheriff and Mister O'Dwyer are both married, and you, sir, are a widower." And he's like. Yeah, well, smart men don't get married, and just gives this like you know uh, crooked smile, and yeah, then Richard Jenkins is like does not have anything to say, and kind of agrees with him, <laughs> which is an amazing, and then and then comes up with something to say to to fire back. Um, so that's an amazing moment. Um, yeah, a few other lines I liked was uh, Richard Jenkins. He has tons of great lines throughout, and Richard Jenkins is one of probably one of my favorite character actors. Like anytime he shows up in anything, it's like he will be excellent. Um, so he they're like riding through the plains at one point, and he says, "I know the world's supposed to be round, but I'm not so sure about this part." Um, <laughs> liked that one. Uh, Kurt Russell had a line when he's talking to uh, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson is like forcing himself to go on this mission to try to save his wife and he's got a fucked up leg and he keeps like re-injuring it and stuff um he has a line uh pain is how your body talks to you you do well to listen to it which was a very cowboy line um and then uh there was another really good Richard Jenkins exchange so Sean Young is the mayor's wife and she storms into the bar when she finds out that like people have been abducted overnight and she says, why was my husband, the mayor not informed of this situation immediately? And Richard Jenkins says, Oh, the sheriff, he, he told me to go get him, but I, I'm old and I forgot. And she said, you expect me to believe that? He says, I'm hoping. <laughs> and, uh, just, uh, you know, like, I don't know that I've ever seen Richard Jenkins play just kind of like he's, He's presented as kind of like an old fuck up, but there's definitely more to him. Like, like that he at one time was more capable and now he just kind of had like through age and probably drinking that's gotten kind of blurred a bit, but he's not like totally gone. So he's got like some savviness underneath it. Um, but yeah, so those are some of the lines that stuck out for me. Um, I have a, I have two and they actually came right after each other, but I'll say, I think the, this is the, 
outside of like burn after reading this is the funniest i've seen richard jenkins he was sure. burn uh, yeah yep yeah, um, yeah. that's kind of a that same i sort disagree of what, was, what else was he in that... step brothers step brothers step brothers me myself and irene i think he was in my there's something about like oh, he, me, myself, he literally and i knew him from comedies and then he became like in the last five years he's been like renowned richard jenkins i'm just like the guy who like was I forget what he did me myself and Irene that was like so ridiculous. Hey, but he, but he is great. He's great. <laughs> he is great. He's great in everything. But it just it's so interesting to be like Shape of Water and Nightmare Alley. He just showed up. Oh yeah, Nightmare Alley Night- this year. Yeah. Nightmare Alley. He w- plays a fucking ruthless bastard, and I was like, yeah. oh holy shit! I've never seen him like take it that dark. I think before. that sometimes goes to just when certain actors hit a certain age, they just fit really really well into certain roles that if they tried to do earlier just maybe would not have fit as well they just they just know how to hit all the right notes they've got the skill anyway your your quotes nate oh well yeah so the two i had down uh was after uh well maybe this is where we can start to broach some of the later plot points but at one point in the movie um two um miscreants i guess show up at this campsite in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere and uh they are asking to enter their camp after being caught trying to sneak into their camp um and their excuse is we were just about to tell you we were coming um <laughs> and so uh matthew fox is, is on like a hair trigger he's the person who puts up the the tra- uh, the trap line the uh the signal line um tripwire there i got there, there. Go. um and uh, after like the slightest uh, miscommunication, Matthew Fox decides to uh, shoot both of them. And so he, he says, if you want to question my morals, do it later because we, we have to move our camp now. And uh, um, Kurt Russell's response is, there aren't any to question. You know, that, that matter of oh, fact yeah. cowboy way, like there aren't any question. And then um, Patrick Wilson's character wakes up because he's dealing with issues which i don't know if we've actually well no we've mentioned that he's the leg hurt right but he's really he's decided to go on this adventure and he is suffering for it um and so he wakes up after the shots are fired and um uh, richard richard's character um kind of gets him up to speed and says oh uh mr bruder just educated two mexicans on the definition of manifest destiny yes that was a great (laughs) Um, so those those are the two quotes that I had to write down. What percentage of of, of husbands are actually going on this journey? Like What's with that? a broken leg, what percentage oh. of husbands are actually going on this journey? Oh, you mean are, just are, in, are, in general? You, uh, yeah, in general. Are you, are you trying to imply, Fabs, that that you would not be going on this journey for your wife? I I would be, especially like. It, like I would be for Lily I'm... Simmons. I can say that, <laughs> but I feel like it's like under fifty percent of husbands are going on this journey. I don't know. I think it would be one of those things where, like, I personally and make sure I don't say this too loud. <laughs> I'd probably make it so far and then go. You know what, guys? This leg is way worse than I thought. <laughs> It, I think it would be it. a little. We less... can see the town. Yeah, yeah the I town's might... right behind you. <laughs> you could really use a warm bed. <laughs> look, I, I would, I would square up. Look at Kurt Russell, 
just all this Kurt Russellness. Matthew Fox, who in this character, as has been previously stated, is quite the cowboy dandy. He always is wearing a bandolier around his waist of bullets. Um, and also looks, you know, just dressed to the nines. And then the drunk old guy. <laughs> but I'd be like, you two probably got it and he can help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, I, think part, I yeah, would say part yeah, of it ahead. is the, the era, you know, I mean, like, I, 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 I don't know. I'm not married. So you two can speak <laughs> to this of like, so I, I don't know if there's just like a, you know, they'll probably figure it out. Like, I, I don't know what the level is where like, cause you also, you're trying to transport yourself to this scenario that we would never find ourselves in. But if you took that scenario and tried to, extrapolated out into our reality you're getting into like cops and the person is you're getting like taken territory you know you're getting into like you know uh you need a particular set of skills and shit but i think (laughs) if you're looking at the era of when this is set and just kind of the ideas of masculinity i feel like he had to go if not for her i mean he's shown as like loving her and doing it for her but I think if he didn't go and either if she died or or came back, in either case, he would not be looked at the same in town again. He had to yeah. go for his status as a man in that town, I think. They, I think they, he, they also they was, yeah. he was yeah. also given basically all the details of like, your wife's been kidnapped. Pretty sure it's troglodytes. They're about seven miles away. We're going to go after him. And it's like, well... <laughs> We got all the de- it's not like it's like a we don't know where to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And the other thing is is I don't know, this was barely touched on, but there's also a bit of contention between Patrick Wilson's character and Matthew Fox. Matthew yeah. Fox the cowboy dandy uh, is is happily, you know, sniffs around and tries to get into women's uh homes for dessert as he puts it. Um and so the fact that I am currently crippled. I know that Matthew Fox's character has come around in the past. Yeah. Um, and Nadine, his wife has mentioned it and, but nothing has happened. And now Matthew Fox, uh, with the, the bandolier belt is going out to save my wife. Hand me my crutch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that makes a point. lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if he did stay, the, if he did stay back, I know which, what option he's hoping happens. Like if she comes back, like good luck, dude. Like with that, like with that marriage, like he he's got to he's got to move to a new town. But like, I, if, I wrote you a poem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's true. Actually, I mean, in the very the, one of the only scenes you get that establishes the relationship between Nadine and Patrick Wilson's character is that Patrick Wilson made the poor decision to fix a roof in a storm, and Nadine is like, like throwing it back at his face. And he's just like, all right, all right, all right. Uh, we, I've, you, you've already talked about this. So just think if she does make it back from that adventure. Oh, <laughs> oh it's over. It's over. Um, so I want to talk some about Matthew Fox's character. So, um, so Matthew Fox, as I said, is from Lost. He played Jack. So the lead character of Lost. Um, I was a big fan of Lost until it got bad. So, you know, episode two, three, somewhere in there. Uh, no, no, no. I, uh, no, I, I was, I was heavy into Lost, you know, like I'd say through, I watched it all, but like through like the fourth season when I thought like, oh, okay, this is going somewhere. And then fifth and sixth seasons, like, oh, it is not at all. Um, but that said, having watched all of that, that's the, my closest 
connection to Matthew Fox. I don't know what I've seen him in, probably a couple character roles. He really, if you look him up, he hasn't done a lot in film or TV. He did Lost, he did Party of Five, and he's had a handful of like guest starring roles, and then he's Vantage Point. a handful of film roles. <laughs> Here's the thing. He's really fucking good in this. He's, he's really like good, surprisingly yeah. good, yes. like way better than he ever was as Jack. Way more interesting to watch. He's in another movie. He would be a villain in this role. Like, I mean, he's borderline villain in it. Um, but the but it, he, you know, he's so drastically different from how he played Jack and how I assume he would have played his Party of Five dude. Um, but he's arrogant, witty, and he's a very deadly dandy, as I put it. Um, and he's, you know, always like, you know, very dressed up. Um, he's very Doc Holliday. So if you think of Doc Holliday, and that's why my name for this is I'm your Huckleberry for this episode. Um, so he's very Doc Holliday if you think of how they present Doc Holliday in Tombstone. So he's very quick-witted. Um, he's very deadly. He's gonna just like... Like, uh, I think, Nate, you were talking about where he shot the the two uh, Mexicans who were presumably robbers, but they did not know for sure. And he is just going to, like, act. So he's just, he's going to make a decision of, like, this is the safer, smarter route. I'm going to kill them before they kill us. Um, and we're going to move because other people are going to show up to try to kill us. And then other people do show up and steal their horses. So kind of implies that he was probably right. Um we also find out that he is, you would have to call him in, in modern parlance a racist um, based on his view of Indians. Um, and there's another comment about the Mexicans at one point about his horse. But I would say within the context of the film, it's it seems to be more driven by like his trauma of that Indians killed his mother and sister. And so like, we can definitely view it as like, this is a character who's like out for blood. He, there's a good line early on where when he joins the mission, he's in the bar and the native uh, character, tall trees who is, you know, talks about the troglodytes at the beginning is there. And Matthew Fox's character who is John Bruder says that he was going to go on the mission because um, he's killed more Indians than, you know, um, than, all of you combined like in the bar and tall trees says, you know, that's an ugly boast. And he says, it sure is no boast, sir. It is merely a fact. Um, and so he's just a, a really dark character, but he has this, um, you know, wit to him and this kind of edge to him that just makes him pretty fascinating. And like I said, for Matthew Fox, especially it's like, holy shit. Why is why isn't he being cast and stuff if he can do this? I've heard he's had some rough, uh, rough, I think personal accusations thrown his way. I read something about that. Yeah, I, I didn't so, know. Like, what... I don't know if that plays into it. But I was looking up the same thing. I was like, man, like he is great in this. Like, what's he done since? And it's like nothing. Yeah, he's done nothing. He's right. well. He's literally not. This is his last film right. role, film right. or TV role, literally until there's a uh, a mini series coming up, a limited series that he joined for like Apple or something for like this year. So it's been like a seven year gap since he's been in anything. And even the, when he was in stuff, he wasn't like he hasn't been in like fifty things. He's yeah, like, I his think, list I think... of stuff is like twenty. 
to Fab's point, it was Vantage Point, you know, which everyone remembers that movie. Um, I, I re- think- that that cast is crazy, by the way, for Vantage Point. It's like <laughs> it's really good. I remember it was Not like the a movie. It but- was like a twenty four knockoff of like we're doing a thriller. It's all real time, right? It's yeah, something, something like yeah. That. Basically, yeah. there's like a presidential assassination, and it's from like eight different vantage points. Right, right, right. Yeah. Is he the um, lead in it? Is he like trying to the stop it? Film. He is like a the third or fourth lead. Dennis. De- yeah, he's a secret yeah. service agent. Uh, Dennis Quaid's probably like the main lead of the film. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I know he did that, and I know he did like I think it was like an Alex Cross movie because he mm. lost a bunch of weight for it, and that's like he was literally all I remember. Yeah. Oh really? Okay. Um, to to speak more to his character in this in this um, film, uh, he he obviously obviously gives off those vibes of being bigoted, um, but he seems to just about hate everybody. Is what pretty much your all your interactions. He says it sometimes politely and sometimes humorously, but it's always like there's hate in there like when when religion comes up and other people say oh don't don't use the lord's name in vain or something like that he's like yeah <laughs> you know he he does not care for religion he does not care for mexicans oh, native well that, americans married people that was another that was another <laughs> great line when he um uh so he shoots the two mexicans and richard jenkins goes out to check them to see if he like could find anything out or if maybe they were secretly armed because they were supposed to throw their guns away and so maybe they had an extra gun or whatever so he goes out and he sees that one of the mexicans has um a uh, cross like a, a necklace with a cross on it and he comes back and he mentions that of like that uh you know you just he's i don't know um he, maybe he's asked like oh was he armed he's like well in a way and then he mentions that he had a cross um and i think uh matthew fox says something like uh, that the, you know the jesus should have helped him then or something yeah. like that <laughs> the other thing i really enjoy of something that they did is like oftentimes when you have a pivot point in a movie where like someone makes a decision that others are like dude like way no shouldn't have done that right yeah you usually don't get much of like a closure one way or the other it's just kind of like well you know he did it we don't know like what happened and this one it was you know they moved on from camp they went to another spot hoping you know there was no one else out there and then it turns out it was actually they were going to get robbed more than likely they woke up and someone was trying to stab matthew fox and they stole their horses so he was right to be suspicious yeah you know of the two men out in the middle of nowhere who were trying to sneak up on camp and said like oh no he don't mind us so i I appreciated that in the movie if red dead redemption taught us anything (laughs) like you trust nobody in western times like out in when you're camping like everyone's probably bad so it's he was justified i think that was just from the very first scene and i it kind of shows how ignorant i am is like watching uh uh arquette and uh what was the other fellow's name Sid Haig Sid Haig watching those two do that to the group of people and I, I was just sitting there like golly it was hard times back then <laughs> <laughs> now, I sure like my comfy couch <laughs> I don't know how often that happened in reality back then but I'm sure it did happen and it definitely doesn't happen now <laughs> that I know of 
Uh, I do want to point out, I, I know you'd mentioned that this has some uh, some inklings to The Hills Have Eyes in, in yeah. the manner of like the troglodytes. I also picked up on like, and I don't know if you guys felt this way too, but like kind of has a Lord of the Rings vibe and that it's like the fellowship walking. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I started then going down a rabbit hole of like, which of these characters connects to uh, one of the fellowship characters i love that and so then i did a comparison well, and i'm clearly curious. kurt clearly kurt russell was gandalf yeah that's what i that's what i got so who do we see as gimli in this group and now uh, the other thing to, in order one. to expand it out i included uh the people that were abducted so david arquette uh young deputy and uh mrs o'dwyer I will, I'm going to sidestep the Gimli question and go with Matthew Fox's Boromir. Ah, see, okay. I, I thought about Boromir for him, but I put down uh, someone else. Based on his uh, quick trigger. Legolas? Legolas. Legolas yeah. is a bit more... I guess they both wear... Well... You can see Matthew Fox sliding down a uh, elephant's... In a heartbeat. Yeah, thing. <laughs> see, I was going to say possibly it, it would be out there. But I was going to say possibly Matthew Fox made sense with Gimli because Gimli always has a chip on his shoulder and he also he has does. the, and my axe, <laughs> which is kind of what Matthew Fox does at the beginning when he throws in. See, I, I put I put Gimli as Richard Jenkins just because he also kind of has that, like, you know, Gimli style, like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. R- Richard Jenkins is uh, Mary and Pippin. Nah, see, I put other deputy as Mary and Pippin because... <laughs> I was like, of course, Marion Pippin would end up getting like chopped in half by the troglodytes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I ended up putting Patrick Wilson as Frodo. That's yeah, that's yep, I, I would yep. figure that. Uh, David Arquette is Boromir, and uh, and Mrs. O'Dwyer is Samwise because she's over there like, you cowboys are just so stupid. <laughs> yeah, that that was another good good line. I, I don't, I didn't write it down, but it was something like. It's not. It's not the the frontier that's that's difficult. It's the the idiots that populated or something yeah. like that. <laughs> While looking at Kurt Russell and <laughs> Richard Jenkins in their like jail cell across from her. <laughs> uh, on, on that note, I'm just curious. Um, there was a line, and we you know we're getting near the to talk about the end stuff here, but um, near the very end. Kurt Russell is telling Richard Jenkins to do a couple things. Um, and so we're going to get into spoiler territory, but basically he's telling him to like give a message to his wife for him. But the other thing is he says, have a conversation with Mr. O'Dwyer. He says that first before the thing about his wife. And I didn't know what that was supposed to imply. Um, I mean, there's two possibilities that I can see. One is, Tell him about all the crazy shit that just went down before he showed up, which, granted, you probably would on, like, a three-, four-day hike. It's just going to have to talk about it. But the other thing is, like, or is he talking about, like, is he telling his deputy of, like, hey, let him know that his wife was probably raped? Or I don't I don't know what that what was trying to be conveyed by the character and by the writer in that moment. Because we're never given anything clear with her when she shows up or when they get to her, she's in like a cage um, and she's wearing like, is she, 
has anything been taken off or is that what she was wearing? Like I, I couldn't, couldn't tell if it was like an, a petticoat under thing or if it was like an actual dress, but she's not naked or anything, but, but they, he asks like Kurt Russell asks her if she's okay. And I think her response is I'm alive, something like that. So like the movie either was like sidestepping it to like imply it. But I, I, I was on a second viewing. I was still confused of like what Kurt Russell was trying to convey with like have a conversation with Mr. O'Dwyer. It's like about and like and like Richard Jenkins like knew what he meant. I missed it. I, that, okay. I didn't pick up on on that. Yeah, uh, I didn't pick up reference. on that either. Was it your interpretation that she had been? I I don't think so. I okay. I I think she was just in a like based on everything that had happened, based on the fact that she just watched somebody probably for the first time in her life be eaten, uh, she was probably just like, what the fuck? Like, I don't, like, I, I don't, I, sure. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know what to do. Yeah, so I guess we, uh, we talk about the ending at this point since we're, yeah. we're kind of there, huh? Yeah. Um, Some butt splitting good times. <laughs> that was just wild to see again, man. <laughs> His name was, is Purvis, and he deserved dude. to die. Yeah. That's, that why, like that's why he's Marianne Pippin, because it's one half is Marianne oh, oh. That was, like, one of the worst ways to die I can ever imagine. Like, I can't. Like, oh, my God. Well, especially because they start off, like, all right, so getting there, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Patrick Wilson hurts his leg again. They have to leave him behind to heal. So Kurt Russell... Matthew Fox and Richard Jenkins move ahead. They get to the Indian burial ground place. Uh, they end up, you know, kind of doing the thing that they probably shouldn't have and just knocking on the front door, you know, their front door, which is just a passage that leads to their larger space. Uh, Matthew Fox ends up going down in what we thought was going to be a hail of glory, but ended up just being a uh, a skull to the face. It was, um, it was much more. It was much more Billy in Predator in yeah. that moment where Billy goes out yeah. and cuts his chest and like he's gonna <laughs> like oh Billy's gonna fuck shit up and yeah. then the next thing you do is you just hear Billy scream. Yeah. But there are a couple two. There are a couple good lines I want to throw in here um, for uh, Matthew Fox before he dies. So he gets, um, they get attacked. So they get hit with like rocks and one of them. I think Kurt Russell gets a an arrow to the shoulder or something. Yeah. And then Matthew Fox, like, I think, like, so it's called Bone Tomahawk. These um, troglodytes utilize bones, and they've sharpened bones and shit. Um, so I think they literally, like, throw a tomahawk, and they cut off Matthew Fox's hand, like, laying on the ground. So he's bleeding out. They tie it off. But he um, he's, com- he's committed to, he's going to take out as many as he can. And he wants them to leave dynamite behind. So like Jimmy saying, a blaze of glory. But, I mean, he could live. He easily could live, you know, based... I mean, not easily in the Old West. But he could live based on the scenario. But he says, I'm far too vain to ever live as a cripple. (laughs) um, Which is great for that character. And then Kurt Russell, before they walk off, says, we'll make sure all this has value. And then he says in, like, Matthew Fox says in the shaking voice, please do. I shall kill as many as I can. Um, and it's just like, again, incredibly well delivered. And I loved his character throughout. And again, making me wonder, like, why hasn't he been in stuff that's not yeah. lost? But yeah, so uh, so that they get attacked. 
Um, before we go any further, if somebody wants to jump in and, like, we probably should, like, discuss the troglodytes in full because we haven't done that yet. Uh, they almost look like the Predator in terms of size. <laughs> I think they're all, like, six, six or bigger. And, you know, they have interesting names like Boar Tusks and Wolf Skull. And my favorite, actually, I think my favorite one might be Teeth Trog. Um, so yeah, they're, uh, they, they attack and I think they're all like, so they're very big and they are in like, kind of like a chalky white, um, I don't know, like powder or yeah paint or something, well, but they blend that, into that, the scenery. And that kind of threw me because at the beginning when Sid Haig gets killed, um, like they dark. come out, it's all in black. And so I don't know if they like change it up based on, and that was during the day too. It wasn't at night. So it it confused me of like what they were trying to convey at that part based on mood <laughs> the one that wasn't mood in all white showed up yeah um yeah so uh so yeah they're they're usually in all white that we see um they have minimal clothing on um they utilize bones as tools we're already told that they don't have any spoken language because that was something that Tall Trees tells us at the beginning. Like, Kurt Russell asks, like, what their name is. And he's like, they don't have a name. And he says, what kind of tribe doesn't have a name? One that doesn't have a spoken language. So they don't speak. But would anyone like to say what they do do? <laughs> <laughs> Except more more threatening. And, like, with a whistling. Well, it's I guess. It's wild, yeah. It's I, like a I, dinosaur roar. They they end up like having bones in their esophagus, which is almost like an opening that allows them to make these guttural screams. It's like prehistoric tracheotomies. Yeah, with a with like a kind of a whistling bone insert. And and Patrick Wilson does something. It wouldn't even be one of the first hundred things I would think to do <laughs> during during this journey. I was wondering where he was going, like, like with that. When he finally wakes up from his leg injury and then, like, catches up to them and shoots one of them, and he's like, what is this thing? And he, he like, pokes at it. He's like, I guess I'll cut it out of him. And put <laughs> it in my mouth yeah, he's immediately. Like, I assumed he was just taking it as, like, a souvenir. And I'm like, what are you doing, Patrick Wilson? And I was like, I oh, okay, out. okay, he's smarter than me. <laughs> well, he he first questions, out. he's like, is this jewelry? And then, yeah, yeah he, he pulls it out, but... I mean, my interpretation is it's like it's literally part of their bodies that has grown that way. I don't think it's something yeah. that they have altered. I think it's I think that the idea is that mm. they are like on a different evolutionary track because they the idea that they are troglodytes. That's, you know, cave dwellers that goes back to like prehistoric pre man kind of thing. I think the idea is that this is like a branch. They branched off somewhere and they got these these whistle necks. And they've had them for, you know, centuries and eons and whatever. I did not interpret it as something that was self-inflicted. Mm, I think it's okay. – so that's where I got into where I feel it starts to get supernatural. And the same thing with their leader, which is – what was his name? Um, uh, the Tusks? Boar Tusks. So it's like it's possible that maybe this guy like inserted stuff into his face, but I don't know. I don't know if you would have been able to do that with the like non-technology they had. Like even just if you were like a skilled person in the old West, I don't know if you could do it, let alone dudes living in caves. 
So, like, that makes me wonder if, like, certain members of their tribe, like, grow bone protrusions. And then, like, by nature of that, it's like, you know, it's like they're like a stag. Like, well, you're the leader. You know, like, I, I don't know. Like, the, the boar tusks one made me wonder if that was a natural thing and not an insert as well. I hadn't thought about that evolutionary tract kind of slant to it, uh, but I actually really like it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm very cool. convinced on the throat thing because they all have that. The, the boar yeah. tusk thing could just be that dude, but yeah, and the the fact that they were, you know, you, you're right. Like, kind of in this situation, you know, was Occam's razor like, or are they going to be able to insert like a piece of bone? It looked like it had teeth, right? It was like there were teeth jutting out of this little thing in their necks. Um, and Well, and when and Patrick so like, Wilson pulls it out, literally there's like tendons like, still attached yeah, to it. And yeah, shit. he's so like the, cutting around it. Yeah. yeah. So the the fact that like, do they are they able to do that type of surgery successfully? Or is it just that they evolve that way? And I actually, I like that, that latter choice. Yeah, I think that's a good call. That was something I didn't think about in the moment, but makes a lot more sense knowing that they're this kind of offshoot that's their own separate entity within the evolutionary tract. Can um, I can I throw out the something that I noticed at that point in the in the movie? Um, I know this was like a very shoestring thin budget, very you know tight budget. Uh, I thought they worked well within their their means for the entirety of the movie, uh, except for the unfortunate uh, troglodyte prosthetic that you had to have a fixed shot on Patrick Wilson cutting into the neck, and it it looked kind of like a cake that you know somebody had baked in the shape of a troglodyte, but not like those things that you're like, oh my god, I can't believe it's cake. is, like, is no, it cake or cake. whatever that thing is. <laughs> <laughs> it's cake. It's cake. It's no, that's cake. Really cake. <laughs> It's, it, 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 or yeah, like one of those re, you know mid '90s recreations of like this is what troglodytes looked like, and you're like, mm, that kind of looks like a Ninja Turtle. <laughs> Crème brûlée was a weird choice for a dessert to use. That was the one thing I like. Whoa, there's the budget. Uh, everything else was great, but yeah, I guess you really can't get around if you need to have this static shot and cutting into the neck. Well, there's a later shot where one of them gets their head cut off. Uh, with like a bone tomahawk and yeah if you do that kind of like freeze frame it it's very horror movie like like i mean um i think i've brought this up on a previous podcast of like the part in scanners where like if you freeze frame scanners you know it's like a dude's head it's a dude's head and then suddenly it's like oh and that's a dummy and then the dummy explodes and you can see it you know if you go through it and there's kind of that thing when the tomahawk starts like chopping it's like dude's head dude's head and then uh it's like oh paper mache-ish head that looks slightly better um it works but uh you know uh not quite to the level if uh if you had a bigger budget yep all right but so that's uh that's the deal with the troglodytes and yeah jimmy you were uh taking us into uh, some of the horrors that lie within uh yeah so at that point matthew fox was killed Kurt russell and richard jenkins get uh captured and brought into the troglodyte cave of horrors and that's where they find uh at that point i guess david arquette's already been eaten um so he's out of the picture and you have in one cell uh mrs o'dwyer and young um 
young deputy who, as Mrs. O'Dwyer puts it, is not in a good way. Um, so Kurt Russell and Richard Jenkins go into the other cell. They're in pretty rough shape. Um, and then that's where the, the real horror aspect of this movie comes into play. And maybe I'll leave that to to someone else to, to get us through, um, and describe that in a little bit more detail. (laughs) Fabs? Fabs, you want to take <laughs> Yeah, per- perfect. Yeah, as Have you been watching red- baseball this whole time? <laughs> no, I'm literally watching Nick get scalped right now. <laughs> so perfect. Um, Good yeah, transition. Uh, yeah, so poor Deputy Nick, they, they scalp him, which is already just, that's awful. Um, and uh, then they, they, they like hit a, a, a spike in like up his throat. He's still unfortunately alive. They take his hair and scalp. They take that and shove it into his mouth and then, oh, and then put the and spike then into his mouth. Yeah, and then they they flip him upside down and it's like, okay, cool. They're giving him a breather. He needs <laughs> Oh, no. They're going to get an axe. They're tomahawk and cut open his butthole and rip apart his legs and everything spills out. And he's alive until they rip apart. His his legs yeah. and everything spills spills out. Yeah. And meanwhile, Kurt Russell's over there, like, "Don't worry, we're going oh, yeah, to get him." him. <laughs> Richard Jenkins is just leaning against the the uh, the prison, like the uh, their cage, like trying his best to push it, not doing any. They're like, "We're going to get you out," and they're like, "Nick is just guy, like, I'm so fucked. I'm surely going to die," yeah. and he does. But that that's like the foot. I I thought kind of funnily was that you know in his last moments Purvis is still doing his job as the young deputy and he's like that guy buddy his real name is Purvis he was bad he killed a lot of people he stole a lot of stuff he admitted everything he deserved to die and like Kurt Russell's like great good job you did it good you're gonna be a lieutenant you're the best (laughs) oh see you later as he's getting flipped around (laughs) Oh, he yeah. does tell him that the cavalry's coming, yeah. and then admits to the deputy that you know it's a, a bunch of bullshit. Just because, uh, like, that's what I'd want to hear. Yeah, another perfect Richard Jenkins. He's like, "Is the cavalry actually coming?" <laughs> he's like, "No, no, I was just telling you that." He's like, "Oh, I thought you had a backup plan." <laughs> <laughs> um, and if we haven't noted it before, I'm not sure if we have, but uh, so the troglodytes are cannibals as well. So I don't know exactly when we are told that if. Tall Trees tells us that at the beginning. Um, I'm not I sure. I think he made a mention of it earlier on when he was describing Oh, yeah, because he says yeah. it's called, like, the Valley of the Hungry Men or something. And I yeah. think he mentioned that they, they engage in cannibalism. So I think that's known. Um, but, yeah, so um, uh, Arquette's character ends up being eaten, we're told. So he's gone. And then this character will be taken off to be eaten. And, like, the next shot you see one of them, like, is just literally, like, chewing on his arm like a giant, like, uh, chicken leg, turkey leg from, like, uh, (laughs) fucking, like, Henry VIII movie or something. Um, So, uh, yeah. So from there, uh, they have to devise an escape. I do want to note that had this movie been, like, a mega success, Hungry Man would have surely created a bone tomahawk like <laughs> like steak tomahawk steak like meal that was like themed around this movie. So unfortunately it yes. wasn't. 
Yes, hungry. You know man. who's hungry? Troglodytes. <laughs> yes. Not anymore with our new hungry man. Yeah, it would have been like, ah! and it would have like spun around. I'm hungry, ah! and like, yeah, it would have been great. Hungry man's very famous movie partnership fact. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, uh, I think their their most famous, their biggest one was with the film Seven, right? Uh, yes, yes. That's what they fed the guy who died of glutton at the beginning. Just What's in men. the box? What's in the box? <laughs> Mashed potatoes, peas, a little brownie. <laughs> How could it fit in the box? It's a hungry man. Uh, I guess I can take the escape uh, from from like that moment uh, to to I guess the um, resolution, or yeah. I can attempt it. So after after that whole escapade, well, um, I, I will I will throw in in the scalping and the split in half scene. You don't come back after that. You don't come back the same way, having no. watched that. You, you, uh, you're a changed man. That might be, yeah, that might be the conversation that had to happen uh, that you were wondering about. You know, you need to talk to, <laughs> talk about what, she she saw the other half. <laughs> you, we saw the butt and the axe coming down. She was on the other jail cell. Oh, yes. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Miss O'Dwyer got the other view, um, plus whatever happened to, uh, Arquette. The view that the director determined was too much for the audience to see, <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. O'Dwyer got. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so from there, you know, they kind of make this resolute, you know, they, they kind of do a head count. Once, once things have quieted down, they get from Mrs. O'Dwyer like, hey, we got three of them. How many do you think, how many were there? And it was 12. Uh, so it's like, okay, there's nine left. Um, and I will say, I, I love that as a plot device of like, you as an audience are going to know how many are out there for you to then reference back to as they're making their escape and be like, all right, I think we're down to this number now. Like, are they going to get out of there? Is there another one around the corner? Like, I, I did enjoy that. It, it actually it made me think of Clue. When, uh, when they were counting the bullets in the revolver. No, yes. that's one plus one plus one plus one plus two. No, no, no. Yeah. It, two plus uh, two sounds... plus one plus one. I was sitting there thinking, did they miscount how many Matthew Fox had gotten? Um, because it's it, it's unresolved in that face-off with he, when, he, when he's given the repeater and said, oh, I'm going to blow them all up. The guy chucks Tomahawk at him and you hear a shot. I don't know if you actually see I, if... when when uh, Kurt Russell pa- they pass at some point, ah. or either he or or maybe Matthew Fox or sorry, um, Richard uh, Jenkins sees it. Okay, okay, yeah, they they pass uh, Matthew Fox's body, and then there's a dead so they troglodyte nearby. Okay. So so they killed each other. Okay, yeah. So I was thinking maybe there's a sequel. There's like the last the last hungry man um, is like last of the troglodytes. <laughs> But yeah, so they they get their head count, um, and they actually concoct a, a like. There's been a sort of a subplot of opium uh, to help um, Paul Wilson's character um, deal with the pain, and his wife has been set up as a uh, a health practitioner so that she has access to this opium, and it's been kind of moving around in pocket. You know, hey, you can't abuse it. Hey, we have it, and so they still have it on them. Uh, in the jail cell, and they trick some of the troglodytes to uh, ingest opium, and then the uh, Mrs. O'Dwyer like is like, "That one's gonna die. That one's gonna fall asleep forever. That one's gonna be fine." I love uh, that just by part. by keeping track of how much each of them was taking in, and probably kind of take an eyeball at how big they each were. 
I also so, appreciated that was like, okay, she said that one's dead, so that's another one that's down. Right. We're down, so down, down to like, <laughs> and, and like the guy, the people in the in the movie were doing the same thing. Where yeah. they're like, well, now we only have to deal with uh, seven. I see. Now I'm thinking, am I getting them right? Anyway, uh, and then the the, uh, the 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 hero of the hour, uh, Mister O'Dwyer, uh, comes comes hobbling in with like sounds of sh- uh, fire of, of gunfire, um, and. While he's hobbling in concurrently, they had caught on that the opium was an issue, so they were they pulled Kurt Russell out of the jail cell and decided to make an example out of him. Um, and what they did was gruesome, and I can't imagine anybody staying conscious after it. So when they had finished off the the opium, it was hidden in a whiskey flask. They had chucked that metal whiskey flask into the fire or into the coals. And so when they found out that the opium had knocked one person out and killed another, the, I think Bortusks, the big guy, pulls mm-hmm. pulls Kurt Russell out of the jail cell, cuts open Kurt Russell's side, and shoves the burning hot whiskey flask into him. Um, so... Yeah, I don't, I don't know what people's thoughts were on that, but I keep going. <laughs> uh, no thanks was my thought. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... I will say, it, I was like, at least it cauterized the wound. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. You I was know, thinking, maybe was that's doing him a favor. <laughs> I don't know, I cut him too deep. Need to, need, need to cover him up there. So, yeah, uh, Mr. O'Dryer's coming in. I, you, you hear some gunfire going off, so you might be trying to keep count there. And then, we've, uh, we've seen him kill several that the main yeah, crew were, is unaware of. One he's, from... he's shot several and he's led several into traps because he's used the uh, the, the throat whistle um, to uh, attract them as kind of like a call. And then they'll show up and then he pops them good with his guns. So he's he's wiped out a few. And that's one thing I also appreciate is it. and I don't know if it's almost... If it was meant to be a callback to when... Um, Matthew Fox had said he is like the smartest of them. And whereas Matthew Fox, who is also, you know, was it the dandy cowboy is what we're calling him. Yeah. Um, ended up going straight through to like their, you know, passageway into their spot. And then immediately they got ambushed. Patrick Wilson, who like, even though he's on one leg is like, well, rather than go that way, I'm going to go up this way and go the back way. And maybe be hidden a little bit longer. So, like, he had yeah. the, the wherewithal to think that through as opposed to Matthew Fox, who was like, I'm going to go through here. And if 30 seconds go by and I don't throw this rock, run away. You know, like, <laughs> it's very much more like the action hero kind of vibe. Yeah. And that actually goes back. I know it's a pretty, like, the script is great dialogue, but as far as, like, uh, who these characters are outside of this situation. It's a bit harder to put together. Like who is Matthew Fox's character outside of hating native Americans and finding any opportunity to go kill them. I feel like, and I, I, I kept, I actually tried to rewind it a couple of times, but, uh, Mr. O'Dwyer, uh, was really forlorn that he had hurt his leg because he wanted to be a foreman, a foreman. And then I feel like they mentioned Matthew Fox's character is a foreman. So I don't know. I didn't, yeah, I didn't catch. It, it was just like one line each. And I'm like, I don't know what a foreman is, but maybe they're kind of showing that 
Matthew Fox's oh, well, like character a, a isn't Foreman, as good. Well, Foreman's like, uh, you know, like somebody who like heads up a job site. So like, there's Foremans that exist now for like construction like, workers and stuff. But so like, I, uh, in in uh, uh, what I'm blanking on his first name, Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Patrick yeah. Wilson's letter, his poem to his wife, he mentions that he got to a certain job site in Wyoming. And some of the cowboys had to get like corrected and let go because the foreman had to, you know, step in. So I feel like a foreman is still like leading a job site in the old west, but they have a bit more of like a, like a head cowboy kind of thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, tangents aside, um, sure. Bortusk learns how to use the rifle through trial kinda. and error. <laughs> uh, I thought it kind of reload it, yeah. It reminds me of a meme where it's like three panels and in the first one, it's like the first two, it's somebody going like, oh my God, it learned how to use the gun. And it just goes to like a monkey holding a gun kind of like awkwardly. It's just going like, ah, and, and, that, and that was Bortusk with this rifle. He's I think, like, is I that a Harry Bible fellowship? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I'll send it to you. But he's like holding the rifle upside down and he figures to kind of like shake the, shake the reload arm. And then shoot it again. But he learns it well enough to shoot Kurt <laughs> Kurt Russell once. <laughs> so Kurt Russell now has a heated flask in him and a bullet. And he also maybe had uh, gotten chopped up somewhere else. He's a, he's in a rough way. Yeah, he got yeah. he got hit with that arrow, but the arrow was like in his like shoulder or something. Yeah, so he and they were like shoving a like giant bone tusk in his throat, and I thought. Like the first time I watched it, they were gonna like put it through Earth his head, but then they they smack him, they they knock him out with it. So he's, yeah. I, I would have just pretended I was dead. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I have tried anything. <laughs> well, turn him over. I guess we'll couch up in half. No, I'm alive. <laughs> Richard Jenkins got this from here. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah they're uh, leading into the end. Uh, Kurt Russell grabs. Uh, obviously, we're in, like, you know, kind of spoilery stuff for all this. Um, but uh, it's very much worth watching. Um, but Kurt, Kurt Russell grabs a bone tomahawk that has been laying there uh, during some of the struggle. And he ends up, I think, chopping off a part of a foot. And then he ends up uh, getting the best of boar tusk. And uh, and cuts his head off real good, and Patrick Wilson shows up and uh, you know kind of saves the day, and Kurt Russell is is down for the count, but he's going to stay behind just like uh, Matthew Fox did. He takes a gun and he's going to try to wipe out the few remaining that are going to be there, and so it is Richard Jenkins, Patrick Wilson, and um, <clears throat> the wife character uh, Mrs. O'Dwyer. They are fleeing, um, and uh, the movie to just uh, really bring home the extra little bit of horror, Mrs. O'Dwyer had mentioned that there were, like, some pregnant females mm-hmm. in addition to the, uh, like, warrior males, um, and she had mentioned that they were blind, um, and so then we pass them on our way out of the caves, and so they are both pregnant, like, eight nine months pregnant um blind but in the sense that they have had bones driven into their eyes uh that just stay there all the time i guess um and they have also had their 
limbs amputated at like the the knees and elbows so is that what uh, it was i thought they were just tied up no they were amputated jimmy (laughs) so no need uh, see i guess i'd reached my uh my limit of like grotesqueness and i'm like i see legs there (laughs) yes so uh just you know a little bit of extra horror and then you know they you know if you want to do the thought process on out kurt russell ends up presumably killing the remaining males based on gunshots we hear and so those ladies are just gonna chill there for a good while (laughs) until uh until they starve to death so because because our heroes just leave because what are you gonna do what what can you do in that scenario that could have made for a good uh, end credit scene is, you know, they're walking back to the, the well, like a Marvel then, movie. Yeah, it cuts back to the uh, the ladies and then their stomachs open up and then like baby bone tusk warriors come out. No, I always think when I think of the bad sequel tie in, I always think of the uh, Independence Day 2. I don't Resurgence. know what they gave. Yeah. Resurgence. Yeah. Where they like tacked on that end scene where um, the guy who played Data like pretty much looks right at the camera and says, now we take the fight to them. (laughs) (laughs) So just something like that, but with bone tusk babies, bone tusk babies, they'll make your (laughs) dreams come true. I got to say like the Richard Jenkins odds to to survive upon leaving, like on the mission, 1%. Yeah. Pretty (laughs) remarkable that like he's the survivor of the group. Well, and I I think the, I mean, I think the movie was trying to do something different with that too. Because if you look at who lives and who dies, you have the young deputy who um, is youthful and has a weapon, you know, I mean, he gets abducted, but he ends up being brutally killed. You have the David Arquette who's young enough and who is a rough and tumble guy and has killed a lot of people. He gets killed off screen. So he didn't have anything. He wasn't able to do anything. Um, so those people are wiped out. Kurt Russell. Oh, it's Kurt Russell. He's a sheriff in a cowboy movie. Of course he's going to fucking live. So you just kind of assume that Kurt Russell will make it. Um, and he doesn't. Matthew Fox is presented as very doc holiday and capable and like just, he's wiping people out with gunshots other places and then he gets knocked out like billy and predator like i said um but then yeah if you look at the survivors you've got um you know the woman who was abducted which there was no guarantee that she was gonna even be alive when they got there so she survives the whole thing uh you've got matthew fox who is hobbled from beginning of the movie to the end and you've got old drunk richard jenkins who yeah you assume is just gonna like get a bad cough and die along the trail or something. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so like the, the least likely characters to survive, uh, end up do, uh, do survive, um, which I think was by design. It occurred to me just a few minutes ago, and I feel very dumb having seen this movie two times and not like really realizing it. I thought until a few minutes ago, they had just like arbitrarily decided, Oh, we're going to just abduct these people. I didn't associate it with the fact that they had tracked David Arquette's character Mm. from earlier. And that's why this is the first time that they've taken people from this town. So that's why they wouldn't know who they were. Well, see, and that was part of the reason why I thought that she may have been assaulted because they would need women to continue if they have 
yeah, she says there's only two. Um, and I would think they would probably have to abduct women at points to continue the lineage. I mean, if there's only like 12 men, I mean, you get into like actual genetics of how this could never right. really, really even work this small of a group, but, but still like, so that was one of the things that I thought possibly was why they would have taken her was for that purpose. Whereas and look the at other the women ones... we got, they got bone in the bones in their eyes. <laughs> I was gonna say. We, I mean, honestly, we not, put them there, but they're real lookers. Not, not a really a, a great like long game for like you know what we're gonna do as like this offshoot. Take the women, put bones in their eyes. They're just gonna be baby makers. There's but only they two make, of them. They can There's make only twelve stuff of us, us, right? They can make clothing. No, we're cutting off their arms. Oh, oh, okay, okay. yeah. I don't. Do we think this through, Bortus? What? Okay, okay. Because I would have to do the genetics of a uh, of dominant and recessive genes. But if they abduct a uh, a non troglodyte woman and then impregnate her, what are the odds that the baby comes out with the weird throat thing? Mm. It becomes well, like it's... a like a mule, <laughs> <laughs> a liger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what well, is getting kind of uh, like X Files home territory? If anyone remembers that episode. Um, one of the best and creepiest episodes of the X-Files where it was like an inbred family. Um, and there was the, uh, the mother that like lived underneath the bed on like a rolling thing. They just would roll her out. Um, one of the best and creepiest X-Files episodes, uh, go check out home. All right. Um, yeah, we can probably wrap up here. Only other thing I saw was apparently the cave set that they used for uh, this when they get to the troglodytes is the same cave set where uh, Tony Stark was held captive and had to escape as Iron Man in the first oh. Iron Man film. So uh, a little yeah, bit. I remember, I remember when Tony Stark had to escape troglodytes. That was an interesting way to start out the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but you know, it, it paid off. I feel he could have uh, taken him out pretty quickly. He would have <laughs> magicked up some shit, uh, some sci-fi bullshit and, uh, you know, taking care of things pretty easily. I will right. just real quick. Uh, I don't think we've said much about Kurt Russell. Um, I'll just say he's like, great. He, he's magnificent as always in this movie. Um, but I did as watching this realize like he has been in this tombstone. And I think the hateful eight as like his trifecta of Westerns, which is a pretty damn good trifecta. And it made me also wonder, like, all right, you take out, like, the obvious of Clint Eastwood and John Wayne. And then, like, yeah, there's a bunch of Western actors from pre-1960s. But if you're looking at, like, Western actors of the modern era, does anyone have a better, like, repertoire than Kurt Russell does? I'm not going to say better, but I'll say if you're looking for actors that do act in westerns, Kevin Costner definitely has an interest in it because he did. He was the other one that came to mind. He did, I think, was it like open season or something in like the 2000s that got open range, open range. People were like, oh, it's, you know, like a a new modern western with Kevin Costner. Um, Yellowstone. He did the worst version of, uh, of Tombstone in Wyatt Earp. Yes, uh, and then he also did The Postman, which I've never seen, but from what I understand oh. is basically a Western set in like a post-apocalyptic. Never seen The Postman? Of... Oh, yeah. Add no. that to the list of... <laughs> Check oh. out our episode, <laughs> and it's all you need. Okay. 
Um, yeah, the other one that came to mind was Robert Duvall. I know he's been in a handful, but like, I don't know if there's been any that have been huge hits. Outside uh, of, he was in Open Range too. He was in Lonesome Dove, which was a big TV yeah. thing. And uh, I think Tommy Lee Jones was also in Lonesome Dove. And Tommy Lee Jones has been in a number of westerns. I mean, if you, like, Three Burials of, I can't remember how you pronounce the guy's name, but there's a movie called Three Burials of Blank. Um, and it's like a modern western that's good. He's in that. And then you could argue that No Country basically functions as a western. Yeah. Um, and I think he's been in some other westerns, but yeah, Robert Duvall and him, I would say, are up there as yeah. well. But, but neither. I mean, they're more like character actors compared to your examples of Clint Eastwood and John Wayne of like being. And and I think Kurt Russell fits more to the Clint Eastwood John Wayne of like he is the cowboy for this movie. Yeah. Whereas I don't think you quite get that with like Robert Duvall. And you know, to to Fab's point, I think we get less westerns. You know, and they're more infrequent. So I think to see Kurt Russell have a three really solid Western movies in his in his uh, filmography. Oeuvre. yes, his oeuvre, um, is a is a nice a nice thing to see because I just yeah. love seeing Kurt Russell in anything. So, oh yeah, uh, I mean, uh, and and he's had kind of a career resurgence. I feel in the last like decade or so because you have this. Hateful Eight, um, he showed up uh, with a solid supporting role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, he did those Santa Claus movies, which I only watched the first one, but like it's fun enough for what it is, and he like had some fun with it. Um, what, el- what else? What other big franchise is he in? Uh, well, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and he played a great villain. Um, You're forgetting I'm assuming, one. I was forgetting because I don't give a fuck about it, but uh, I'm guessing he's in the Fast and the Furious. Mr. Movie. Nobody in Fast and Furious, yeah. Um, I think he's been in a couple other things recently. Yeah. But I speaking of uh, speaking him. of Kurt Russell, I think Nate's rocking kind of a, a Kurt Russell and Bone Tomahawk beard. It's impressive. Yeah, that's all I got. Um, anyway, you can wrap it up, Linton. I just wanted to call yeah. out the Kurt Russell rocks, and he's uh, he's good in westerns. Yeah, no, I just want to look real quick. Christmas Chronicles; those are the Christmas movies he's been doing. They're, they're um, cute. Uh, yeah, the first one was fun. Um, and then uh, let's see what else. Um, oh, he was yeah, in those... Deepwater Horizon. That was pretty solid. Mm. Yeah, I didn't see that one. Um, I mean, he's he was good. go go back go back farther. He was in Death Proof, which definitely like tarantino's worst but he's great in it he plays a really fun role um and then yeah if you go back way far you get into his john carpenter days which that's uh that's primo kurt russell but yeah he's had a bit of a resurgence i love to see it uh keep him coming kurt keep being in uh cool roles um and all that all right can't wait until kurt listens to this episode and like you know what i am gonna be in cool roles <laughs> Before we wrap up, there's one more thing I wanted to mention about this no. movie that I just thought of. Come on, give it to me. <laughs> Only if it's about Pri- uh, Principal Strickland. It's not. Darn it. Uh, no, it was actually the other thing that made me notice that it wasn't a high-budget film. Uh, the fight choreography had left something to be imagined. Uh, that I feel like there were a lot of instances where you're like, oh, why are they just standing there to get shot? And they just get shot. 
Did anybody else pick up on that? Yes, yes, yes. Like, I did pick up on that. Like they were... Patrick Wilson's like in a ditch asleep, and there are two people with bows, and I think they just miss, and they're trying to shoot him from like a distance, and they miss. He immediately wakes up and shoots like behind his head, on his back, with a bro, you know, a, a, a screwed up leg, and like hits one of them, and the other one just kind of like slowly picks up the bow and gets ready, and he just like unloads an entire five more shots from his revolver and has time to reload and shoot him. And I was like, eh, they could have, ah, well, I'm not going to worry about it. But I just thought that was like, along with the paper mache bodies, the, the fight choreography was a bit like, hmm. <laughs> I didn't notice it, but I think you could argue that it seems like the tribe has never encountered white people uh, before and guns. Um, they have a, they've encountered other native tribes and the native tribes have, specifically avoid that area and don't want anything to do with them. So it's entirely possible that these, because like, well, once you get to boar tusks, he didn't know how a gun operated or anything. So I, I think fair. this is all kind of new to them. Very true. All right. So wrapping up here, would you recommend bone tomahawk? Yep. Absolutely. Yes. Would anyone like to elaborate on your thoughts? Or are you just going to keep a, a very Western-specific, taciturn I, I give uh, approach it, here? I give it four torn butt cheeks, which is the highest honor for a horror Western, obviously. The only horror Western Fabs has ever given four torn butt cheeks to. Yes. Usually only goes as high as three and a half. I yeah. vouch yeah. for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think for Western fans or for non-Western fans, it's got something in there for everyone, especially with the cast. I think, you know, you can't really go wrong with the cast that it has. And I mean, it, yeah, there's a little bit of a slow burn, but as we kind of discussed, like the dialogue in it's excellent. And I think you can find some interesting things to find throughout, um, that'll keep you entertained. And then, uh, all of a sudden you'll get slapped upside the head with some, uh, you know, cheek ripping. Yeah, I also would recommend it. I think the only points that I think you'll lose someone are on those transitions. You get that first scene that like really sets it up as like a bloody horror. You get the title just like boom, Bone Tomahawk. You think, oh, this is what the whole movie is going to be like. And then the next hour and a half is Lonesome Dove or, or Lord Stones. of the Rings. Oh, Lord of the Rings. And then it all of a sudden goes back to boom, Bone Tomahawk in the last half hour. So you might you might get thrown off there somewhere. Um, but I enjoyed both halves of it. Um, probably like the lonesome dove middle area more just because of the dialogue and the interactions. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, highly recommend. Yeah. For me, uh, definitely a big recommendation, uh, coming out here. Um, yeah, I, I think it operates mostly as a Western film. Uh, I'd say probably about 70, 75% of it plays as just kind of a Western. And then, the horror aspects are kind of alluded to in the beginning and then there's this sort of foreboding aspect throughout but then it doesn't really come in full until the end i'm totally cool with that um it doesn't break the world for me it's not like oh we have to be stuck in a western or it has to be a, a horror movie straight through um i feel it makes sense with how they approach it where we are in a western world we are in a western as we normally know it 
and this outside entity, this outside group that is kind of outside our reality, this is this pocket of a splintered, you know, evolutionary track, they are entering into a Western as we normally know them. And that's kind of how I think it operates and how, how you would want to approach it and view it is this is a normal Western and this other thing is coming in and fucking it up. And I'm all about both aspects of that. So big recommendation. Uh, it's a very good film. Like I said, very dark film. Um, so uh, probably don't sit down with uh, dad or grandpa with this one unless uh, they have been uh, properly uh, um, warned or you know their taste well enough. Because this is not, uh, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to sit down and watch The Searchers, Gramps. I was like, yeah, okay. Um, but uh, Just watch it with your mom and grandma. Yes, yes. Uh, okay, so uh, big recommendation for me. And then, as I said, uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99 is very interesting as well and has Vince Vaughn just fucking up a lot of dudes. Um, and I would, from my memory, it gets more violent than this movie um, because there's, I don't know if there's anything worse than the splitting, but there's definitely more insane moments of violence from that movie, from what I recall. Uh, we might do it on the show sometime. Anyway, after um, the postman. Yes, sure. Yes. yes. I'll make sure to have you and Nate back because <laughs> since you're big fans and you, you know, uh, I've seen the postman good, probably good eight times. So, <laughs> Oh Jesus Christ. It was and like I, supposed to be notoriously him. bad. Like it was supposed to be like Waterworld bad, but boring. So that's oh, what do you mean? Waterworld's nice. bad. We really should just do a whole month of Kevin Costner produced and acted in post, you know, apocalyptic fantasy movies yes Waterworld, postman uh the for love two. of the game <laughs> <laughs> it did come we're, we're recording for love of the game on thursday i'm excited and i love tin cup it's one of my favorite sports movies there you go all the um, kids all right there there is not a kevin costner movie that fabs hasn't seen and loved so it's <laughs> pretty fair some draft day action coming up soon all right, um, so here wrapping up here, uh, can I find this? So Bone Tomahawk is widely available. You can get it on Apple TV, Hoopla, Amazon, Vudu, Google Play, YouTube, Microsoft, Redbox, Hoopla. and probably others. And it is on DVD and Blu-ray. So uh, track down a copy of Bone Tomahawk because it is worth the watch, especially if you are a Western or horror fan or both. All right, and then that leads us into what we will be looking at next. So coming off of Bone Tomahawk, we're actually going to do one of our uh, special episodes. In the past, I usually haven't um, kind of uh, like prepped the audience for this one, but uh, for them, but for this one, I will. So we're going to do another pre-make. So the pre-makes are episodes where we look at something that greatly inspired or was directly ripped off to create some much more famous work of art, some other film. And so, so far, we have done a pre-make for Indiana Jones when we looked at Secret of the Incas. And we did a pre-make for um, Alien when we looked at Planet of the Vampires. And so both of those films were very much direct inspirations for those later, much more famous films. Um, <clears throat> and in the course of talking about Planet of the Vampires, um, this randomly got brought up. And then I was like, oh, shit, we could do a pre-make on this. So basically, um, there are two Outer Limits episodes called Soldier and Demon with a Glass Hand. And those are both writ written by Harlan Ellison. 
who was a very famous science fiction and fantasy writer. Um, those episodes are basically, as according to a court of law and to anyone with eyes, are largely the inspiration for James Cameron's Terminator. Um, and we will go in-depth into how all that went down, what Ellison put out there, what Cameron claimed, what the legal people said, and what us watching it, what our view of it is. Um, so we're going to look at Soldier and Demon with the Glass Hand. So that's going to be our pre-make episode tied into the Terminator universe. And I'm probably also going to encourage our crew to watch the original Terminator just so it's fresh in our mind as well as we go into it. Um, so a little different because we're watching two episodes of a TV show. Uh, it's Outer Limits, 1960s Outer Limits. Um, and these are two of the more prominent episodes, even aside from what we're looking at them for. They're like two of the more two of the better ones and more famous ones. So Soldier and Demon with a Glass Hand coming up next. <laughs> 